This is Design School. Karen Gutowski, thank you for coming to This is Design School. We greatly appreciate you helping to close out the season for us. Well, thank you for let, inviting me and letting me be here. Yeah. So, Karen, you and I uh, have known each other for quite some time, and we are professors at different institutions here in the South Puget Sound area, me at PLU and you at Seattle Pacific University. I thought as the, um, as the season closes for us here, I thought a great chance for us to really talk about commencement and what happens to our students after we graduate. The other added bonus, of course, is that Chad is graduating from grad school. Yes. Yay. Yeah. How many Yay. more weeks now? Uh, I don't want to count. I think five. <laughs> so by the time that this goes out in... Like two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. yes. So mm-hmm. I thought this would be a great chance for the three of us to kind of talk about what's next and how do we prepare both ourselves but as well as our students mm-hmm. thoughts it's great yeah it sounds really great chad first i want to say i'm really <laughs> proud of you because that <laughs> is what's next uh you know i think any professor in design would really hope or want to encourage their students to go on to graduate school i think we often um especially teaching undergraduate it's the subject itself has gotten so broad mm-hmm. that it's difficult to cover all of what needs to be covered in design in an undergraduate program. And so some of those serious, deep, good questions, the way to frame, the way to think, the way to walk around the issues in design and to use design in a really purposeful and meaningful way mm-hmm. often needs graduate studies. So I'm, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. Well, it's definitely messed me up in a great way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. And I I definitely see that even more now that, you know, I've been through the experience and mm-hmm. I'm at the tail end of it. I, I want to yeah. ask you a quick question. I know I'm the person, but, mm-hmm. you know, I know, Chad, you, did you have much time in between undergraduate and graduate? Uh, I had four years, So you did, years. you took a, by mm-hmm. to pure, gosh, Time flies. I remember mm-hmm. when you were an undergraduate. So, yeah. um, so you did take some time off. So you're glad about that? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, our program uh, strongly. Well, they rarely take anybody right out of the undergrad. So me and along with my peers uh, have all been in industry in some aspect or another for a number of years. Uh, I think I was actually the one who went back the soonest. But I'm really glad. I think both that gave me the opportunity to make sure that uh, design was really what I wanted to do yeah, and go deeper into. But I think I also learned a lot of things by going out and doing it that gave us another perspective to be able to bring back into school when you go and do it the second time. Kind of know what to ask, which questions to ask mm-hmm. because you were yeah. up there. And yeah. you have a whole other context around, you know, when you're doing these difficult readings of like being able to place that into something is really beneficial. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. That's awesome. Well, I love your theme. I love the theme (laughs) around kind of commencement, maybe the language of launching, Mm. what that might look like. And um, I, I really feel a strong call as a professor to help shape students to be able to think about that what next step 
And I think it has to be even broader than simply about their portfolio. The portfolio is very important, obviously, mm -hmm. because they need to get a job. They need to step into the professional space. And that looks like a lot of different things in today's market. But I also want to give them enough thinking, tool sets, skill sets, ideas, frameworks around who they are and what do they have to offer this big world using their design as a skill to speak into those spaces. Uh, JP, you and I often talk about like design activism and yeah. different ways of um, thinking about design. And I think helping your students understand who they are, their own unique story, mm -hmm. and how using design as a tool to speak into that, to those places, is really a gift. It's really a gift. And so I think that's one thing that I really spend some time, especially that senior year, trying to look at my students individually and see who they are and where they're going to be able to use design to speak into some of these big problems that we have mm -hmm. today. So I like commencement. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it gives us a chance to kind of reflect on um, not just as academics, but as well as, as um, students, what have I done for the last four years or what have I done for fill in the blank however long yeah. they've been here and think about what is the next step? What have I learned that's going to springboard me towards the future of that? You had asked Chad about, did he just go right back into to school, to grad school? Do you have a lot of students who are going right into grad school? Not this year, I don't. I periodically, I mean, I should say I do over the course of time, but usually I get information or get letters from people or emails from people that say, could you write a reference? Probably three, four, five years after they graduated. Um, so, which I, I agree. I think that's actually a really good time. I waited a long time. I think I waited, oh my gosh, almost 15 years to go back to graduate school. Yeah. It had to be right with my family and so forth. But I'm, I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did. So no, right now I don't have anyone from this particular group. I think probably in Seattle, it's a little bit tougher because it's a really good market right now to hire designers. And so many of them are really looking forward to jumping in to the waters and actually getting a job. So um, graduate school feels a little bit distant. Yeah. We're trying to plant seeds of you know deeper thinking and ways that you can address bigger problems through design. But uh, right now they're wanting to get work. And I think that probably bodes well for the economy. Uh, yeah. Usually grad school is a thing that you do when the economy is not in a good position. Um, and since we have so many different jobs and the creative field right now is, is so booming in Seattle, of course you want to go out there and, and start making a mark yeah. on the world. So, yeah. yeah. How are you feeling about it all? The next <laughs> steps in the future? Still figuring it out. <laughs> one day at a time, right? One day at a time. You know, the market is really booming, but I think one challenge that I've been facing is because there are so few people that do go to graduate school for design and then go back into industry. It's hard finding places that value that and finding the right place for you to go to. Yeah. So when you say value, you're talking about design uh, thinking, mm -hmm. uh, really high-end user-centered design theories yeah. and methodologies. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And thinking deeper about like bigger things rather than just like pumping out production work and, you know, 
that's uh, that's that's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll go on for your PhD? Because I think that that's we may be the last of the professors in design that mm-hmm. actually can have their terminal degree in an MFA. Yeah. So what what are you thinking that way? Uh, I not anytime soon. Uh, I want to jump back in and see how things go. Um, I don't know. The idea of a PhD, especially most PhDs I've talked to, a lot of the making part disappears really yeah. fast, and that is less appealing to me. Oh, I mean, that's I've, cool. I've gotten a lot of uh, done a lot of writing, and I enjoy writing, but I can't imagine just having that be your only output. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. To me, that's that's actually starting to become more appealing. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've started looking at a PhD program. And, <laughs> mm, it's it's on the back burner, but it's getting closer to the front. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's okay. it's interesting. It's funny. Now I want to ask all these questions. Yeah, no, it's um, great. It's well, interesting that you talk about this notion of making and mm-hmm. maker. And I had a a student. You know, as we're spending a lot of time on uh, different design system thinking theories and so forth ask this question, why do we spend so much time on formal exercises or why are we, um, you know, why is that freshman, sophomore year focused so much on image making Mm -hmm. when we should be doing more design strategy and design thinking and human-centered design and so forth? Um, I was kind of taken aback by that. I, I thought, wow, you know, how do you do that? Because that is our vocabulary, our way of um, speaking in to design and the design conversation. How do you take that out? And um, so I'm kind of curious, if you were to design a design curriculum now, knowing what you do know, and still being interested in as a maker, would you take out some of those earlier exercises in making? That's hard. I, I don't think I would. Um, because I think I appreciate them more now, especially now that I've had more time, um, helping to teach those things to other people, realizing that, uh, that is a skill that very few people have. And that's really what separates, especially as visual communication designers or graphic designers, that's really what separates us from a lot of other programs and a lot of other closely related fields is that we have the skills and the ability and the literacy to make things and that's the way we communicate and other programs that are adopting you know the word design um, whether it's human-centered design human-centered design and engineering um, other programs that are you know adopting design thinking in a way they don't have that same literacy and it's a really interesting it's still hard for me to consider that design because well like at the end of the day in design, in my mind, you communicate through making something, and then that is what the conversation is around by what you produce. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a hard one because yeah. a lot of times you don't produce an artifact. Mm-hmm. You're just doing a kind of a process. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's developed my sensibility in scene, and mm-hmm. so I, I can't even separate 
that, you know, I, I mean, I, I see positive and negative space without an issue. You know, I yeah. know visual hierarchy and, and those sorts of things. And it's become an acuity mm-hmm. that I, um, I'm curious. Anyways, it was just, it was a fascinating, you know, years ago we used to, in education, we would talk about this idea, should we, you know, actually teach technology? Should it just be about form building and theories? Mm -hmm. And, you know, well, that has kind of gone aside. Everyone realizes that, yes, you have to have a certain literacy in technology in order to perform, you know, a lot of what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And in many ways that hasn't separated us from great conversations around process and methodologies, case studies and theories. So that I don't think is the issue anymore. But I did find that fascinating to pull away um, these form studies. I, I, I My background is more in Swiss uh, foundational form building exercises. How does one see, you know, speed and repetition and mm-hmm. pace yeah. by that? Yeah. So. Have students been appreciative of that? Have they come back to you now and say, because of this class or because of the way that we did this project, I was able to land this job or think about this project in a different way or to help this organization or to fill in the blank? So I think in my case with my students, I don't think they think in particular like one class you know this this class has helped me land that job i think it's because it's uh, many classes and many ways of thinking and whether they're working individually or in a collaboration um that yes they have definitely said that be, you know it's only always that aha moment once they're in the professional world yeah. but what i love about this branded uh event that we put on and it's it's pretty documented there's a lot of we SPU branded, you can find it. Uh, we have a couple videos on it. But what I love about that is we actually bring freshmen in on it and they're great. They can sketch, they can do color palettes, things like that, all the way to seniors. And so why, what is a value of that particular project or that particular um, workshop that we're doing is they begin to see a full comprehensive plan and how they play a role in that. And the different stages a designer would play a role from sketching all the way to naming to having conversations with business people. But in particular, what I like about that that event is it takes money off the table. And so no longer is the client the one that's financing. Mm-hmm. The, these, are col- these are equal peer- peers having discussions about a visual narrative and a visual story for that particular product or social venture. So that one in particular, students really seem to resonate with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just having a thought going back to hearing you talk about that and then hearing, you know, this idea of doing um, visual studies, especially at the beginning of um, like design education. And it reminded me of, uh, do you know Frank Kimero? Uh, so he also, he often re- refers to uh, design as a bowl, yeah. in yeah. that um, when you design for design stakes, you're just stacking bowls, and that doesn't make sense. And so that design as a bowl that needs to be filled by something. And in in a lot of ways, those beginning case studies are a bowl that you're trying to fill 
with design and in a lot of ways you're filling it with art right like that long history that design visual design has with art and you're kind of filling the bowl with art to learn something but then at what point do you start filling that bowl with something else and are you able to make that bowl without filling it or creating it with art if that makes sense yeah that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I think that's such a great metaphor because mm-hmm. you're right. I think early in the stages of design education, there is this, um, or there should be, whether it happens or yeah. not, that's always a good one. But um, there is this sense that my priority is on how do I make this? How mm-hmm. do I demonstrate this? How do I articulate this visually and so forth? How do I actually, you know use this tool or this technique whether it be you know more analog or whether it's digital but i think that there comes a point and it's usually in our case it's that junior year Mm -hmm. uh some schools it may be different but in that junior year where all of a sudden they begin to see that what they're making has a different perception or a different meaning if i had made this differently or if i had Put it in. It's the semiotics. Actually, mm-hmm. they begin to understand signs and symbols and systems and how they are appropriated differently in different places and mm-hmm. and and demonstrated differently. And that's those those bowls. Yeah. Those bowls. And so then I think in our in my program, JP, you're probably the same as well. In my program, one of the things I want them to be able to feel. Um, strongly about is that they then can recreate that process so in other words they can recreate the making they can be um, confident in recreating the meaning based on how they demonstrated it and um, so that they understand their process of development using the audience using the context using where it's going to be distributed or demonstrated so actually, they're kind of coupling it with, you know, different types of, um, they're appropriating it with different methodologies. I don't know if it's because my son is a scientist, but one of the processes that we've been trying to go alongside is the scientific method. One of, I think it's interesting in design. I don't think it'll ever happen because designers are always all out of there, all over the place. But I think one of the biggest challenges for designers is we start with a very abstract concept and we have to pull someone in our stakeholders um the audience all of these people our research pull them into this process of what we're doing how we're changing how we're failing where we're going um and i'm not talking about a process of a mood board that you know, what does this look like? And that's cool, right? In mm-hmm. fact, I'm, that's maybe one part of it, but that's not all of it. I get concerned that, to me, the mood board is like synonymous with copying kind of thing. We got to be really careful with that. So anyways, this kind of taking an abstract idea and bringing it all the way through to fruition, uh, whether that be an artifact or whether that be a curriculum, something, you know, whatever that is. Um, I've been fascinated with scientists and how they have had that structure through the scientific process to take an abstract idea, test it, use it, test it, use it, use, give a hypothesis, test it, use it, test it, use it, 
and then they frame something at the end. And so we've been trying to use that as a framework um, to start with something abstract and to end. Um, there's some holes. A lot of scientists would say we're not doing yeah. it to the extent that they are. But, um, and I don't think designers will ever be able to be hard and fast with a very clean, all over, everyone adapts the way yeah. that we do a process. But it's been kind of fascinating to give framework to things. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into a little bit of like Edward Tufte's work of thinking of it as a as a process, a, a systems thinking and doing that, we find that there is probably more integration into a, a more vocation or career oriented fields where you can bring design into the boardroom or, or into the scientific method. Yeah. And I think that's probably a useful thing in the 21st century. I think we're going to be a lot more integrated, if not already integrated into the systematic and scientific processes that we do because of our creativity, our imagination, but our way of thinking in a more scientific way. Yeah, a yeah. systematic way, yeah. Systematic yeah. way, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it is interesting that you talk about Tufty because engineers love Tufty. And so it's fascinating that um, we as designers, those who call themselves designers, whatever that may look like today, um, we we do rebel against that, don't we? And so we don't, we want to just say, I don't want to process, I don't want a framework, but yet it's in that framework that we can actually uh, go through a pretty hefty, abstract way to get through, um, to take an idea to all the way through its uh, process of finish. Yeah, I would call that creative constraints. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but that's that's the really interesting thing about design thinking is, you know, a, a, a framework for the basic process of design really has been verbalized or articulated in some way. And if we don't latch onto it and continue to own it, it's going to get stolen from our field as it already is by business in a lot of ways. Um so I think that's that's interesting. One conversation we had a lot in our seminars in grad school was around what is what does it mean for design and being an academic and doing research in design specifically and being able to push the field forward in that way. And especially as you're talking about like PhDs being more common uh, as you continue to go on as our field, you know, gets out of its infancy in a lot of ways. And I think it's interesting that one of the things that we identified that is really holding back the field is uh, this lack of a common language, which is both unique to our field and is something that you'd obviously want to hang on to in some way. This idea of wanting to rebel against strict processes to keep like creativity open, which is a very unique aspect of the field, but also needing to constrain it in some way to be able to communicate with each other and be able to push forward like the field forward in some ways it's an interesting tension yeah you I love that word trick processes yeah <laughs> because I think you're right I think like as designers one of the things that I shouldn't speak for all of us but yeah. I think I think literary review for example I think we think we do it mm -hmm. but we don't do it to the extent that other PhD programs do mm -hmm. I think we also can have a tendency to 
stay within instead of going out and looking at other um, disciplines, like you said, Mm -hmm. and how do they, what processes do they use in order to research or to uh, understand things in a deeper way? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think you've hit it on the head. I, I, you know, we, yeah, it's challenging for us. Well, I mean, it's also interesting in the broader conversation of um, a lot of designers wanting to have more ownership or have uh, like reach higher up in organizations and things like that. Um, But it makes you question, you know, can our field without that higher level thinking and that stricter things to place it around and also a value of higher education uh, beyond, you know, a bachelor's degree to have these harder conversations and higher levels of thinking is is that really enabling us to uh, validate that against other fields that have a strong tradition of it yeah i i think it it definitely can Mm -hmm. keep us limited um you're making me think when i was (laughs) in graduate school i worked on karen will get a chuckle out of this one i worked on a project with karen for uh, uw bioengineering and um at that time it was you know there wasn't templates and PowerPoint, and there wasn't um, great-looking presentations that scientists could put out. And so we presented our work at a National Science Foundation event, and ours was probably, I mean, it was great, but it was probably the least uh thought out it would I thought out that's not a right word but you know at the doctorate level type of thing or the research you know you're talking about nanotechnologies or something like that and um but at the end everyone wanted to talk to us because we had the best looking presentation the most cohesive presentation well I was just at an event with my students uh a week ago at a present at a research conference and um they didn't have the best looking presentation. I mean, there are so many uh, templates out there now that can make things look great. And so now the playing field's equal again as it, I mean, it used to not be because design, you know, could could overshadow content in some ways. And now that's probably not the case. And so you're absolutely right. I think uh, getting deeper, uh, getting wiser, getting smarter, doing more research, having the vocabulary of um, other disciplines would be of great value to designers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that um, in a critique for a class I was doing with um, uh, a class last quarter, uh, they were doing bringing in initial uh, designs of uh, websites. And there was one that uh, was just very templatized. It looked yeah. like it came out of Squarespace. Mm-hmm. And that was my first response and critique was, what differentiates you from automization? Like Automization. Word. <laughs> that word. Yes, thank you. Um, what differentiates you from that? Like, why, why would somebody pay you thousands of dollars when they could go get it on a subscription online for a couple bucks a month? You know? What did the students say? Uh, they didn't have a strong response at that time, mm-hmm. but then they went uh, the way went away and thought about it, and they redesigned their site and they thought about it more in depth about how their content was relative, uh, like relevant, and w- how to bring out that content in a unique way that was different. So they internalized it some way, but they didn't have a response at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a real hard part for mm-hmm. all of us. We get so influenced by what's out there that we yeah. forget that in many ways we are to be 
Oh, I hate this idea of originator because there's so many arguments against that, that nothing's original. But um, how do you take histories? How do you take technologies? How do you take narratives? How do you take critical thinking and reappropriate it in a way that is current and needed for the particular content or the particular uh, subject that you're working on at that particular time. And I don't yeah. think a lot of times we actually take the time to think about it. It yeah. is, is right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, we're, we're very much a, what is the deadline and how do we meet the deadline as quickly as we can yeah. without having that playground to mm-hmm. really sit and think about it for a while. Yeah. But that yeah. that again comes back to, you know, what should, what should foundation classes and design look like? And really by sticking with those uh, really strong visual practices and visual studies, that enables you to have a playground to play instead of just uh, mimicking yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to mimic anymore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I taught a class in Thailand and um, it was through a film studies program. And they have to sketch. They sketch, they sketch, they sketch, they sketch. And I'm from a background that drawing isn't necessarily the most important thing as a designer, that you can appropriate your designs in other ways. And so um, my sketching is fine, but it's it's adequate to do prototypes. <laughs> However, I got to tell you, these film students, they were able to really rap- rapid prototype really complex concepts because of their skills in drawing. It was really impressive. Then I did the same project with another, the design group in this in this school. And limited, limited because of, you know, using technology or using what we could find to kind of um, come up with our ideas. And so this idea of, using sketching and good sketching to appropriate our ideas is 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 wise actually you know speaking of sketching i'm wondering are there any other types of tools or any other resources that students have used over the years that they've learned to appreciate either right as they graduate or um, as they're in their careers that they have learned to appreciate well, I'd like to say they took advantage of this, but <laughs> I want to be, okay, I'll be optimistic. Um, I, I went to a, confer- a design conference years ago. It was like small schools or small cities. And uh, JP, that's where you and I met, actually. And I, I didn't realize how lucky we were to have a community like Seattle or to have a creative community. Like if you're in San Diego or New York or Chicago, Denver is a great city right now um, because we are really lucky with with organizations like AIGA and the multitude of young designers or designers that establish designers that really do want to mentor or guide or speak into our students in how they're growing, what they're doing. Um, I just you know, this idea of resourcing that I think is actually really important. I think, you know, I look at students and I get it. I'm 18, 19, 20, 21, and I'm nervous. I don't really want to go out of my comfort zone. I kind of want to stay doing my work on my computer. But um, there is such a value in talking to someone who's been in this field or been in this career for a period of time 
that they can help shape, they can help um, give advice, uh, walk alongside, encourage. Uh, we've so many people have been through this that it, it, I, I guess the resources is really these great people that have launched, do have careers that are desiring to speak back to young people. Uh, we have a big event coming up at SPU that will have all these professionals that uh, no problem getting the professionals. Oh my gosh, hard yeah. to get the students. Yeah. And I don't, it's this disconnect and I don't, I don't know why. And, and so when you talk about resources, yeah, they've got them. They, I mean, it's, that's one of them is, is a design community. Yeah. I think part of that is um, part of a lot of what comes with design, at least from a student perspective, is this idea of when I'm talking with a professional, it needs to be finished and it needs to be refined and it needs to be done. Yeah. And uh, I did an interesting thing at our career fair a few weeks ago is I brought unfinished in process work and showed that and talked about it. And people actually responded better to that than flat finished portfolio pieces, which is really interesting. Yeah. So when you when you brought it, did you tell them this is all work in progress and I'm looking for feedback, or did you just opened up the book and say No, it's like I brought so for my thesis, like I'm doing these booklets of data that I'm talking with people. So it's like data visualizations and there's notes written in it from when I was interviewing and talking with them. I brought those. They were filled with notes. They were filled with marks. Like weren't even in color like you know crappy printouts i mean they were bound together and everything but you know and brought that and that was actually a good platform not only to show like this is what i can do and it's in process and but also you know like this is behind what it is too and i think a lot of the students probably feel like i'm not ready to show something i'm not ready to show something but really um you know if it's out it's if it's if design is really about continuing to iterate and, um, you know, going back and back again, like we shouldn't be afraid to bring two professionals and pro professionals shouldn't be afraid to see work that is in process. I think we need to get more comfortable with that. I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. I think that is absolutely the case. I mm -hmm. mean, my students run around being so worried that it's not perfect, especially at yeah. some of these reviews. I get it if it's for a job. Yeah. You know, I get it that you want to put your best foot forward because you're competing with X amount of people trying mm -hmm. for that job. But in these informational interviews, in these career fairs, in these opportunities, pre-graduation or even post-graduation, there's a lot of internships now that students are in after they graduate. I agree with you. Designers mm -hmm. love to talk about process. Professionals love to talk about process. That they would rather see that you are engaged in learning and you are engaged in this idea of perhaps change or that their point of view may influence you. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's, I love that you pointed out the fear because yeah. I think you're right. I think it is this fear of being the best, of being perfect, when in fact that vulnerability of um yeah process mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad you talked about process i've been having conversations with some of my business friends and they're like ah i don't want anything and that shows process anymore and i'm like but in our field i think you know anything can look slick you, yeah. like you said that guy who did the squarespace uh, the mm -hmm. site that looked like a squarespace site you know, anything can actually look pretty slick. It's that process of thinking, what did I need to do 
to go to my sketches and get there. Mm-hmm. Speaking, I do have a funny story. <laughs> you might. Have. <laughs> uh, uh, one of my students decided to enter a contest. And um, in this contest, I actually ended up getting a lot of publicity, but in this contest, he did not show their sketches because you just show the end result. And the end result was chosen. And then at the end of this, uh, some person saw this and said, oh, this is a copy of this person's logo. Fortunately, my student or my alum, he had graduated, fortunately he had saved all his sketches because it was very clear that in his iterative process, he indeed came up with this mark, this mark, and, and you know, you could say anything looks the same in so many ways. It didn't really look the same. But, um, I, and I think that that's why uh, professionals want to see process because anybody could really do these kind of formalistic, beautiful things that you just pick up. But we want to know that you're actually thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another story. I had, yeah. um, I met with a, uh, an administrator. And he was very much about trying to understand what design is and design thinking because he was interested in this conversation. And I kept saying that notion of failure, design is failure. And he kept coming back like, well, isn't design really just an intuitive thing or just a natural thing? Or And, and as we know as designers, well, if you draw 52 frogs, there's a lot of failure between frog one and frog 52, you know? And so um, it is that notion. I think we forget that our sketches, our iterations are all of these kind of mini rejections. I like this, I'm gonna use this, but I'm gonna go on and do this. I like this, I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna go on and do this. We are really skilled at accepting rejection and moving forward and so the more that we can be comfortable with those spaces, I think the the better off we are. Plus, the more we know our vocabulary and design, oh, the better yeah. off we are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yep. As JP always says, fail harder. And I like to say it's only fa- failure failure if you stop. Yes. Oh, I yeah, like that. That's yeah. good. It's only failure if you stop. If you stop. So don't stop. Keep going, Chad. You're always there. (laughs) Insert the journey song at this point and go. (laughs) Well, Karen, it has been a pleasure as always to see you and uh, have a chance to come in and talk to you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for including me in this. Great work. And that concludes the second year of This is Design School. As we finish up our sophomore year, we want to make sure you get out there, read, be inspired, and design over the summer. Have ideas for the next season of This is Design School? Feel free to send us a tweet. You can find JP at JP Avila. And Chad is on Twitter at Chad P. Hall. You can also follow the podcast at TIDS Podcast. This is Design School is recorded at the KPLU Studios. The intro music for This is Design School is Electronic Nostalgic composed by Paul Tyen and published under the Creative Commons on SoundCloud. Visit us online at thisisdesign.school and help spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now. <laughs>